Welcome to Allegedly Guilty, our new true crime channel where we discuss current cases and give you our perspective from former law enforcement officers who are now working on the criminal defense side. We're your hosts. I'm Angela Ng, and with me is Joe Murray. We were both retired NYPD police officers. And for all that are new here, when I retired, I became an attorney. I opened up my law firm and I brought Angela in. Angela has just been my right and left hand. In 2019, I ran for district attorney. She was my campaign manager. She's my office manager. She's my biller. She's my process server. She does it all. And now she's the producer of Allegedly Guilty. So, so much for retirement, huh? So much for that. Um, before we start, I just want to say a couple of things. Please be respectful in the chat. And I just want to clear up that the AR-15 is not an assault rifle. AR does not stand for assault rifle. AR is Armalite Rifle 15 being the model number. It's a semi-automatic, meaning... For every time you pull the trigger, you're letting off a round. Whereas the automatic, as soon as you pull the trigger, it's going to keep on firing until you release the trigger. Yeah, that's a common misconception. People see AR and they think assault rifle. It's, it's not. It's not an assault rifle. Not that I've ever held one or anything. I don't. I don't know anything about those, you know, AR-15s. But anyway, today, what? Whoa! What is that? Oh, <laughs> so. So anyway, today we're going to talk about the verdict. The verdict is in, in the Kyle Rittenhouse case. We've all been glued to our TVs watching this trial. I've done the best I could to stay on top of this. I've been busy with my own stuff, preparing for trial. And uh, But I have to ask the question, and hopefully with the help of our guests, we're going to come to an answer. Was this a prosecution or a persecution? Now, I know a lot of other channels have covered this case and they've discussed all kinds of uh, issues in there. And honestly, I could talk for days on this case with all the things that were going on. But I'm going to try to bring in some new stuff that hasn't been treated uh, so far. And with us today, I don't want to keep her waiting, is retired NYPD first grade detective who was from the Manhattan South Homicide Squad, Irma Rivera. Hello, Irma. How are you? Hi, everyone. Good evening. So good to see you. Irma is, is not only retired from the job, but she is perhaps the greatest private investigator. And oh, we've worked on so many cases together <laughs> on, on top of, you know, Angela. But we've worked so many great cases together. It's incredible from, uh, you know, the cases that we've done. So I love to have her perspective here along with Angela. Uh, so let's get right into it. You know, the charges themselves. Let's bring up the charges. They started out with seven charges, right? So if you scroll that a little bit, scroll down. Right. So we started out with seven charges. And if you look, you'll see like the first one had to do with Joe Rosenbaum. The second one had to do with McGinnis. McGinnis, he was recklessly endangering McGinnis. That was the allegation. The third one was uh, recklessly endangering the safety of Jump Kick Man. I'm sure you all remember that one. And then the fourth charge, first degree intentional homicide, that was Anthony Huber. And that's a really interesting discussion. Angela brought up a couple of great issues with uh, that case and the facts supporting that case. 
And then the fifth charge was that guy, Gage uh, Grosskrauts. Is that how you pronounce it? Gage Grosskrauts. Grosskrauts. Gage Grosskrauts. That's the guy who had his bicep essentially vaporized, as he described it, when he got shot. Um, the other two charges that the jury didn't get to hear and decide, the sixth charge was you, uh, possession of a dangerous weapon by a person under 18. And I don't know if you, know, if you remember, during this trial, the defense moved right away to dismiss that. And the judge was kind of like trying to interpret the statute. It's a little convoluted. They went back and forth on it. And then finally, before the jury got the case, he dismissed it. Uh, the seventh charge was that curfew violation, which is a stupid charge. You don't want to distract the jury. If you're a prosecutor, you don't want to distract them with something like that. I don't think it belonged in there in the first place. In any event, the judge felt that they didn't make out their case. And there was a little controversy because the prosecution goes first and they have to make out their case, the prima facie case uh, about all the elements of all the charges. And right after they rested, the defense jumped right on them with that motion and said they didn't meet their burden. They didn't prove the elements of that last charge, the seventh charge. All he said, he had a police officer who said there was a curfew. That's not enough. You have to establish that it was a lawful order, like, like the pandemic. We had executive powers for this emergency situation, so they were enacting these executive orders. Well, you have to have that legal authority presented to show that it was lawful. They didn't do that in the trial. They just had the officer testify that there was a curfew in effect. That's insufficient. So that got thrown out. But let's go back to uh, charge number six. I just want to touch base on that. If you could, I made some notes. I hope it's not, no, the, the other one. I made some notes, and I, I hope it's not too confusing. But uh, I want to show you the analysis. The law is based on reasonableness. And looking at it, you interpret the law with the same reasonable interpretation. So in count six, he was charged with possession of a dangerous weapon by a person under 18. It was 948.60 subdivision two. But let's look at the statute. This is 948.60. Could you go to the top? Yeah. This is 948.60, possession of a dangerous weapon by a person under 18. The first section, which he's not charged with, obviously, because it's really a definition, it defines dangerous weapon, and it means any firearm loaded or unloaded, and then it goes on to list all these other if you're in New York, we, we call them deadly weapons, and they're listed as deadly weapons. So, But once we hit any firearm, loaded or unloaded, we know they satisfy that, and this constitutes a dangerous weapon. Now we go down to Subdivision 2. Subdivision 2 is actually what he's charged with violating. Subdivision 2 says any person under 18 years of age who possesses or goes armed, I love that language they use, goes armed, you know, goes armed with a dangerous weapon is guilty of a Class A misdemeanor. So essentially, anyone under 18 
who has a, a dangerous weapon. We know any firearm is a dangerous weapon. So it looks like this is an appropriate charge. The defense argued, however, if you go to subdivision three, that these are exceptions. And in subdivision three, it says this section, meaning this provision, the whole charge um, of um, 948.60, this section does not apply to a person under 18 years of age who possesses, oh no, wait, that's not, that's all right, that's one exception. They argued that uh, Kyle Rittenhouse fell under exception C, AC, I mean 3C. So let me read 3C. This section applies only to a person under 18 years of age who possesses or is armed with a rifle or a shotgun if the possession is in, a vi is in violation of subdivision 941.28. Let's just stop there for a second and look at 941.28. So when you look at that, 941.28 says possession of a short-barreled shotgun or short-barreled rifle. So now don't forget, it says this only applies if you're in possession of a short-barreled rifle or short-barreled shotgun. So you may recall during this trial, there was a discussion back and forth about the length of the barrel. So here's the definitions, and there's four, there's four subdivisions, A, B, C, and D. We're only going to deal with A and B. So A is a rifle, and they're defining it. it. means a firearm designed or redesigned, made or remade, and intended to be fired from the shoulder or hip, and designed or redesigned, made or remade. This is all attorney lingo. Uh, to use the energy of, of a propellant in a metallic cartridge to fire through a rifle barrel and a single projectile for each pull of a trigger. That's the definition of a rifle. Now, to be precise, to be in violation of this section, you have to be in possession of either a short-barreled rifle or a short-barreled shotgun. So let's see what a short-barreled rifle is. It means a rifle having one or more barrels having a length of less than 16 inches. Now, don't forget, that's the barrel length. So less than 16 inches measured from closed breech or bolt face to muzzle or a rifle having an overall length of less than 26 inches. Now, think about it. What's the purpose of that? What's the legislative intent? Well, if you're cutting down, like you've heard a sawed-off shotgun, if you're cutting down a weapon, it's easier to conceal and hide. And I think that's the intent of it. They want to show that this is, go back up to the top, this is what the harm is that they're trying to prohibit by this. So now go back up to the section, the top right there on the C. So we now know, let's read it again. This section applies only to a person under 18 years of age who possesses or is armed with a rifle or a shotgun if the person is in violation. It's a little confusing. And that's why I highlighted A and B. This section does not apply. B says this section does not apply. C says this section applies. So it only applies 
if they are armed with a short barrel rifle or short barrel shotgun. Now it says, or is not in compliance with subsection 29304. And then you could look at that if you want, but that's essentially where they got to. They got to the 16 inch barrel. They measured it and determined that it was not under the 16 inches. And therefore the judge dismissed the charge and the jury could not even reach that uh, charge in their deliberations. So six and seven were thrown out before the jury even got the case. So it was really, and you know, in all fairness, that's what this case is about. The five charges, the reckless endangerment, the, the, uh, um, you know, the causing the death. So, uh, that's where we go. So you could get rid of that. I just wanted to explain that because I, I think there was a lot of dispute about whether or not those charges should have gone forward and I got to tell you, when I was listening to the judge and the lawyers arguing it, I was even more confused. I said, you know what? I got to get this statute myself and pull this thing out and try to take it apart and figure out how this thing works. So, so that's what we did. I wanted to clear that up. Now, one important thing that I have to establish here is I believe, and I've used this tool on a lot of my cases, I believe this is a grand jury case. You know, a grand jury, when you have someone, especially in a lot of times it involves police officers who fire their weapons and, and um, kill people, they go before a grand jury and a grand jury will determine if that officer was justified, whether it's a self-defense or a justification defense. So a lot of times, you know, these cases would be presented to a grand jury. However, I researched this. I was trying to find out why this case was being prosecuted based on what's called an information. A grand jury returns an indictment. This was not an indictment. It was an information. I thought that was a little funny. So we kind of tried, I don't know, maybe somebody has better information, but from my research of this, it appears that this was during the pandemic and court was closed and they were doing virtual appearances uh, around that time. So I don't think there was a seated grand jury to hear these cases. So in the alternative to a grand jury is what's called a preliminary hearing. And they did conduct a preliminary hearing in this case but a preliminary hearing is such a watered down, this is due process. When you get arrested and charged by the government, this is part of your due process where we check the government to see if they have sufficient evidence to go forward. Well, a grand jury, you're actually sitting in a room with either 16 to 23 people. There's no judge. It's the prosecutor the grand juries, and the witnesses will go in. Now, Irma, this is where I want to bring you in. With your vast experience doing homicides and the sex crimes, I know you've testified numerous times in a grand jury. Can you just describe like the setup of the grand jury and, and the difference between a regular jury in a box in a trial versus being in a grand jury? So, hi, everybody. Good, good evening. Um, well, when you go to a grand jury, first of all, it depends on how many people there are. It's normally like between 16 and 23 people who sit on a on, in the grand jury. And what you do is, you know, you go in and you just explain your case. You know, um, the, the district attorney normally would ask you questions, you know, like, and you give a, a scenario about what happened. 
or what the defendant told you. Like in my case, it would be about what the defendant told me, you know, uh, what the victim told me. That would be on a case that I would be working on as a detective. Um, so you basically explain your case and then the, 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 the jury decides whether to indict or not to indict. Now, the standard for a grand jury is probable cause. It's just like to make an arrest. It's the same thing, but it's the check on the government. It's the check on you. You may think you have probable cause, but now we're going to present it to reasonable people, the grand jurors, to hear what your evidence is and you articulate it to the grand jury. This is why I made the arrest. So if they believe that you have sufficient probable cause, they'll vote an indictment. If they right. don't, it's no true bill and that gets kicked. So the important difference though, I wanted to, to ask you to explain about a grand jury, like it's so much more intimate in a grand jury than it is at a regular trial. Like you're right, right there amongst them, right. right? Could you just describe that a little? A regular trial is completely different. In regular trial, you have, you know, a judge, you know, you have um, a defense attorney, you have uh, the, the person accused, you know, you have the prosecution, the defense attorney is completely different than a grand jury. A grand jury is really, a, it's kind of like a secret hearing, it's kind of like closed off, the information there is not public information. You know, I mean, things have changed now in New York City with the grand jury minutes, but um, it's basically like a secret, it's kind of like a secret, am I right, Joe? It's yeah, it, it's normally yeah. Uh, you have no idea who's in there. You're not supposed to discuss it. Right. And it's, usually you would not even get disclosure of the grand jury minutes until right before the person was going to testify. But that's now changed you have now. To have, yeah, that's changed. Thank that's God. That's changed now. Um, well, you work for the defense. I mean, I work for the defense <laughs> and the prosecution, so I work for both sides. Um, right. But um, one other thing about a grand jury, like, like when I do, when I go to the grand jury, I've made an arrest. But you you don't necessarily have to have an arrest to present a case in front of a grand jury. Many times when I worked in sex crimes, you know, if there was a victim that we weren't really sure about, we would send her to the district attorney, and the DA may put her in the grand jury, and the grand jury can decide then whether we're going to make an arrest or not. So you don't have to make an arrest right away. And people don't, also don't know the fact that you can actually send a victim to the district attorney's office and they can decide whether they're going to prosecute the case or not, or even indict it. And it's such an important them, distinction. Yeah. When, when I'm glad you brought that up because most people think of the traditional call the police, the police come, they do their investigation, and then they'll either make an arrest or they'll present it to the grand. No, you can go right to the district attorney. They have an investigations unit. They have detectives that work for the DA squad. They will work that out. But generally, the process is to go to the police department. Um, but uh, you're absolutely right, and that's an important distinction. The big thing that I wanted to convey to people is the grand jury, like Irma said, when you're in there, there's no defense attorney. It's the prosecutor, the court reporter, and the grand juries, and they're sitting amongst you. Like you're just a couple of feet away from them in this room and you're having a conversation with them. You tell you know, them the facts of the case that district attorney will ask you questions and you're present and then they'll raise their hand. They have questions and they'll go to the district attorney will go to them to hear the question. And then the district attorney, he or she will put it on the record and state it and ask you to answer. one of the grand juries has a question. So it's a real great process to check the government 
This is this is us. These are our citizens out there who sit in there and they want to make sure that you have sufficient evidence. I mean, what's your experience with the grand jury? I'm sure you're probably 100% everyone gets indicted, but do you find that sometimes in your cases, some grand jurors are throwing their hands up and they have questions they want asked from you? Oh yeah, many times, yeah, on certain, depending on what type of case it was, on sex crimes cases and that as much, sometimes they want to explain what a child abuse case would have been or about, you know, the different, um, you know, under 17, they might ask questions about that. On homicides, you know, they have asked questions about homicides, but I really can't remember, it's been a long time. But um, I've had many grand jurors ask questions, but not too often. It's Sometimes our cases are very cut and dry. Maybe a, 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 the, a witness, maybe the, the actual victim might have more questions asked. I wouldn't know that because I've never sat as a witness, mm -hmm. as, a, as a complainant on, on a grand jury. I've always sat there as a, you know, detective. I can always, I can also tell you that as a, a defense attorney, we have the right as a defendant when you're, when you've been arrested, there's something called a direct presentment. That's what you were referring to before there's an arrest, the district attorney and the police will put their evidence together, present it to a grand jury, get an indictment and then go make the arrest. And they'll do that. Like a lot of times with conspiracy drug cases, big, bigger cases, they'll do mm -hmm. that. So, but when it's not a direct presentment and it's the result of an arrest, like in the of the Kyle Rittenhouse case, he was arrested on a criminal complaint. They ordinarily would have to go to the grand jury. And this is the case. When I saw him testify and, and all the video evidence and all the exculpatory, in my view, evidence that he was acting in self-defense, I really felt that this would have been a guy that I may have put in the grand jury. Oh yeah. Because so yeah. it really was a circus with him and, and uh, all the news media, it was, it, you know, it's very disappointing, you know, uh, public officials and the news media, it used to be get the facts, right? I mean, you know, now it's, they're not reporting the news. They're just advocating, you know, it's, it's your side and my side. This country is so divided and it, it's so dis, dis, uh, disconcerting that, you know, we're going in that direction. So, I mean, is, isn't that the sense you got? I mean, it was just so, it was meant to divide people, this case. It, was, it, it definitely, was it definitely, it definitely does. And, you know, and even though it was a Black Lives Matter demonstration, it had nothing at all to do with race whatsoever, you know, and, and the left side, is making it making race such a big problem in this country, you know. And I know there are problems, you know. I 100% agree with that. But this case was not a case like that, you know, at all. I mean, it's a white kid who shot three white people. I mean, why is it a? a I mean, thank God he didn't shoot the the black guy and kill him. And that then that would have been a complete different story, you know. Yeah. And people are saying like, if he was black. It would have been different, but he wasn't black. It, I mean, you got to stick to the facts. I think social media is really the problem here. You know, people give their opinions, social media, it, people are tried by social media, you know, and that's really a big problem in this country right now. What do you think, Ange? Is this. Uh... I don't know. I don't even know when the media took that turn and just, I mean, they're supposed to be subjective. And, you know, well, objective, they're supposed to just report well, it as yeah, they see it, yeah. you know, but it doesn't appear to be what's happening. It's sad. 
Let me just run through the chat real quick. I see Jen Lowe, our dear friend. She's got her wrench out and ready to go. Kathy Bates, Lindsay Ten. I love when Lindsay's there. She's got the best questions that she throws at me. Keeps me on my uh, on my toes. Maui Swift, Maui Swift, climate to divide. You're absolutely right. You know, oh, it's Outback. <laughs> Dawn Marie, thank you, Dawn Marie. And Andy, the Gabby Cabby, I love this guy. You know, when I had COVID, I was in the hospital and uh, factual breakdown contacted me. She says, you know, listen in, this guy, Andy, the Gabby Cabby from England is gonna give a shout out to you to try, you know, well wishes. I was like, this guy's amazing. Out of nowhere, he's just, he didn't know me, I guess just from being on police off the cuff or duty run. And Andy, you know, it was just so inspiring and all the, the love and affection I got from people while I was laying in the hospital. I kind of felt bad because, you know, I'm laying in there and I have this other guy next to me who was 70 years old. I, I, I just felt so bad. His whole family got COVID and they were just a mess. But thank you, Andy. I'm so glad you're here. And it's five hours later <laughs> in England. So he stayed up pretty late having a pop or two uh to see us so way, thank you by the way joe one thing i want to say about the grand jury also what as, as cops when we do make an arrest in the grand jury there's a certain amount of time that the case has to be presented in front of the grand jury if the person is still incarcerated you yes. know if they're out it's different but if they're in 18080 is that the yep. right term section 18080 of cpl Sorry. yes you're absolutely right okay. but that's for the defendant that's due process that's forcing the government you're going to take my freedom away and arrest me and charge me with a serious crime well you better get in front of a grand jury and show that grand jury what your evidence is i love that i love checking the government that's what that's what it used to mean to be a democrat when i was a democrat but you know i don't want to get political at all but, but it but, seems but like we've lost sight of what liberalism is and what freedoms are and what our rights are that it, it's yeah it's but sometimes gone. sometimes you have a case where um it doesn't go in front of the grand jury right away and when you have that case you know it's a weak case because you know that the prosecution won't put it in front of the grand jury because you know there's some doubt you know there's something wrong with the case they might do it later on but the longer they wait as a defense attorney, you would know that they don't have enough. Right. You know there's a problem, problem with witnesses who maybe be uncooperative or something like that. So, but the grand jury, I think, is a valuable tool. I've used it a number of times. I've used it myself when I got arrested, you know, for that use of force that I had. And I went in there and I testified and the other officer testified and the grand jury heard both of us and said, no, nah, this is a self-defense. We're not going to charge him. And I, I think I, I think, you're, I think if you're 100% innocent and you really true to yourself and you really know that you did nothing wrong, go in front of the grand jury. I mean, this kid, if this kid didn't testify, forget it. He probably would have been in jail. I think well, testifying was I have mixed feelings about that. I think early on in the grand jury, after you know interrogating him and cross-examining him and trying to get all the facts and pressing him. Early on, he should have gone into the grand jury, I think. Oh, yes, of course. And I think I think it would have been over. Later on, testifying at trial when they're digging up all this crazy stuff, if you saw some of the pretrial motions, I want to ask your opinion about this because some of it was pretty, you know, the, 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 the general principle in the law is if you're going to introduce evidence and the probative value of that evidence 
is outweighed by the prejudicial effect it'll have on the defendant, judges are not inclined to allow that evidence in. <clears throat> and there was an issue that came up, if you want to throw the first one in there, about the Proud Boys. This, yeah. this came up, and they wanted to introduce evidence of a picture he took after court, not something before. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's play this. No sound. Hold on. You can't hear it. Hold on. Angela has got. I see she's, wearing, she's wearing a lot of hats, so <laughs> she's she's doing her best. This is only our second show. I got to tell you, second show, one week. We've been doing this a week. And I, you know, I just wanted to point out we have 965 subscribers. Wow. I mean, that's just amazing. In a week, we're so close to that 1,000. So let me take this moment while Angela's figuring out the videos there. Stand up. <laughs> hey, if it goes black, good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Can I give it a shot? All right, let's try this again. You got the mute on? I don't know. No good? Okay. So let me uh, let me just keep blabbing because that's what I love about this. But the, the issue is, and I'll explain it to you, there was a picture. One day after court, he went to a bar. I think it was called Pudgy's Bar in Racine. And he went to the bar, and there were a couple of uh proud boys members at the bar and he was taking pictures with them and they were doing some kind of i don't know how it goes which way it it's supposed to mean white power right I, thing. I don't know which way it is that you do it and they were posing and and taking the pictures like this but this was four months after the incident this was january of this year where the event in question took place August 25th, 2020. So what the defense, well, what the prosecution wanted to do by introducing this, he was talking about the Proud Boys and what they do. They go to these demonstrations, they inflict violence and commit crimes. Like that's their goal, to go to these demonstrations and disrupt them and, and injure people and fight with people. And he wanted to use that association four months later with the Proud Boys to show he was not there to offer aid and help and clean graffiti. This guy was there as a member of this organized militia white power group to fight with Antifa and uh, Black Lives Matter. Now, I have an interesting question about this. Let's just say that evidence was allowed in. And the only evidence I'm aware of is this picture that happened four months later. Of course, they would bring in, they, they offered to bring someone in who's associated with the Proud Boys, who would testify as to what the Proud Boys mantra is and what their purpose and goal is. So I'm sure it wouldn't be flattering, but what do you think? Would that have helped the jury 
understand this case better? Or would it have been, as the court looked at it, the probative value of this, the proof of it, is outweighed by the prejudicial effect that it may have on the jury associating him with this, you know, white power, this racist, uh, alleged racist group. I don't want to, you know, give them uh, a, a black eye, you know, uh, pardon the pun. But what do you think? Do you think something like that? Even in the chat, I'd love to hear people, if, if you think something like that would sway you and say, yeah, these are this is a bad dude. That's a bad group. I think I so. Find him guilty, not on the facts of the case, but on his association. I, what I do you think? think? Anybody have any thoughts in the chat? Let me give this video a shot here. Go ahead. Factual breakdown. Nothing that unduly prejudices the jury is helpful, incendiary, and divisive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, factual. I got to agree with you. I don't think the jury would have been able to, to look objectively at the facts if they were distorted by this association. Now, if the association was actually relevant to August 25th, like they were in communication, they were working together, they were coordinating. Yeah, then I'd say, listen, you got to live with that. That's what you did. And the jury should hear that. But we're talking about a picture that was taken in a bar four months later, probably because they probably didn't know who he was until August 25th, but they probably saw what he did, which looked like a scene in Call of Duty. He's being chased down, hit hit with a skateboard, whacked, and he shot these people, you know, they probably wanted to just celebrate him because of what he did. I don't think it was that he was associated with him on August 25th. I think it was just after the fact he became a celebrity to them. And it wouldn't uh, matter because the person he shot wasn't a black person. It was a, they were white guys. Right, but I, I think that was the purpose, though, to show that there's some kind of white supremacist group mm -hmm. who are intentionally, this is what they do. They go to demonstrations to disrupt them and injure people and commit crimes. So I think if they, I think if they were allowed to poison the jury with that information, which has nothing to do with case, right. what he actually did or is accused of, I think it would have been overly prejudicial, but I'm just curious as to what people think. I mean, do people agree? Or do you think as a juror, you wanna know facts like that, that and you can parse it out and, and not let that infect your- Yeah, I agree with that. Break down. There's no need to bring race into this case. It's not, it has nothing to do with race, this case. Yeah. Much like the big dust up from Kyle wearing a black rifle coffee t-shirt. Yeah, I mean, some some of this stuff, uh, I, I think there was even a picture of him wearing that shirt. What did the shirt say? It said, uh, free as F, you know, like something like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that kind of stuff. I, I, I believe that this judge made a good ruling, uh, and I wanted to play those arguments because I thought they were good arguments, you know, but I think the judge... He, he actually said, look, unless you're showing me a direct connection with August 25th that he was coordinating with them, I don't think it's relevant and it's actually poison to the jury. But I will leave the door open. 
So we can revisit this if new evidence comes in showing that. I really right. think this judge was very fair. He was very fair. Court. It wasn't one-sided and just trying to, you know, protect the defendant. He was protecting defendants' rights to a fair trial. That's what I thought. You know, how are we doing? Is that ever going to uh, come? <laughs> I, think, I think police off the cuff said, told you what to do about it. Um, I saw something from police off the cuff. They said it hit, oh. um, hit some it. mute button or something. Oh, is it mute on? Let's see. Police off the cuff. We need, we need Josher. <laughs> we need Josher. He's great. He's amazing. But anyway, that was one of the issues that I really just had a problem with, you know, like, wow. But, you know, as a prosecutor, when you have to pull all this stuff in, that means the actual facts are not in your favor. You know. He just put a small button in the bottom left of the video. Small button. Okay, stand by. Standing by. That's on. Do you have it off on? No. Oh, is that a YouTube video? Is that a YouTube video? No. No. Yeah, we recorded it. We recorded it for that purpose, so we wouldn't have to worry about commercials or some stuff like that. But I thought these were well-crafted arguments. You know, that's another issue I wanted to touch on. Irma, and you've testified at many trials. What did you think of the lawyering that went on in the case? Uh, of him? Both lawyers, like the actual lawyering that went on in front of the judge, even the judge. Like, what did you think? I think, because, the, I, I think the lawyer, his lawyers, were, I think the prosecutor was a bit of a, you know, and unfortunately he blew the, and he put his, even putting his finger on the rifle, on the rifle, on the, putting on the trigger. I, I was surprised that he did that in a courtroom. Yeah, you know? that was kind of alarming. The, the, the prosecutor was a little bit, you know, he seemed a little bit like arrogant, in my opinion, you know, a little bit cocky, you know, but I think the lawyers were pretty good. And then he, and, he, the fact that he was like that made you not like him. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think a lot of has to do with that too. Like even the jury, if they like you as a lawyer, if they like you as a, as a prosecutor, if they don't like you and you seem like being like, you're being almost bullying, which I thought he was a little bit. Mm -hmm. I think the jury didn't like that. I think he was a little disingenuous in some of his arguments, but I have to say overall, having tried, you know, cases. They were good, yeah, they were good lawyers. I've yeah. never tried anything as, as big as this. They had over 100 exhibits, what, 160, 170 exhibits. All those witnesses, I think they started the case. They turned over a witness list of 175 people. Mm -hmm. You know what that's like when you have a big yeah. case and you got to interview all these witnesses. And now you got all these DD5s and you have, you know, you have to look at, okay, what order am I going to call these witnesses in? Mm -hmm. And then you have to have your, your kind of script as to where you're going to go with each witness. Mm -hmm. But that all goes out the window. It's like Mike, Mike Tyson's line. Everyone has as a it relates to the problem. Oh, she got it. I mentioned this in the, in the brief, and Mr. Binger has ignored it. Mr. Binger, what? Binger has ignored it. For this to be considered by you, there must be evidence by a preponderance that on August 25th, 2020, Kyle Rittenhouse was either a member of the Proud Boys or had loyalties to that, to that group. 
it is no different than you would make a determination if there was, for example, somebody wanted to introduce evidence of a gang membership. I'm telling you as an officer of the court, we have downloaded Mr. Rittenhouse's cellular phone. We have an expert review that phone. That expert has done an analysis to try to determine if there is anything on that phone related to Proud Boys, militia, white nationalists, Boogaloo Boys, KKK, three percenters, any type of hate group that you might consider. And the finding was the extraction does not establish that the user belonged to or even had any interest in any malicious style organizations. Mr. Binger has provided you no information whatsoever that on the day in question, August 25th, that Kyle Rittenhouse had any affiliation with that group at all. He's asking that you take and allow evidence to be admitted over four months later about a photograph without any information that anything related to this case involved the Proud Boys. There has been nothing. And I, I have cited for this court cases in my brief related to, uh, for example, gang memberships. And in every one of those cases, the court had to make the finding first, the person is in fact a member of this organization or has loyalties to that organization. You've heard nothing in his brief and nothing in his argument today that would substantiate that on August 25th, that fact existed. Wow. That's a great job that attorney did with, with extracting his, his phone. You know, I think this is part of what I love about being a, a, a lawyer. Even judges, this is a very humble judge. He doesn't declare to be all knowing and you know, he's willing to listen. And this mm -hmm. is the job of a lawyer. The fact that you put a brief together, you're yourself. We don't know all the answers. We do the research and we find cases that are similar or cases that we distinguish from this case. And we show the judge persuasively why he should rule in our favor. And then the prosecution will do the same thing. And then the judge reads both briefs. And now he's educated on the issue and may do his own research in case we've neglected to show him the appropriate cases. And then he makes a ruling. Now, this is the argument, if you want to go to the second one. Like, I thought that was a strong argument for the defense. Great. He's essentially saying the only thing was this picture from four months later. There was absolutely nothing tied mm -hmm. to August 25th. But now listen to the prosecutor. I thought he was very articulate. He made common sense inferences from the evidence. As that it relates to the Proud Boys. I mentioned this in the, in the brief, and Mr. Finger has ignored it. That's the same one. Talk, talk, please. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Oh my God, I see everybody in there. 
I'm hoping. I hope I'm not losing you guys with this. To me, I thought this was very important because I thought. sit in the criminal courts all day long, okay. and I deal with a lot of racially charged cases. Believe me, and I never heard about this hand gesture, any <laughs> having any. Well, the first time I saw it, or a version of it, was Chef Boyardee on a can of uh, spaghetti. Um, uh, so, um, Your Honor, if I could just I, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, we're not alleging Chef Boyardee's member of the Proud Boys, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but two things. First of all, um, this was not a happenstance uh, random meeting. In fact, according to a New Yorker article, uh, which interviewed ahead, various on hold on, but, but they interviewed various people involved, and including members of the Rittenhouse uh, family and their supporters. The defendant went to Miami on January 12th of this year and was picked up at the airport by the president of the National Proud Boys organization, who took him out to lunch. That was intentional. So this was not, this is consistent, this is a pattern, this is not a random meeting at Pudgy's Bar in the scene. When was the event? This was January 12th. So this okay. was nine days or eight days after the incident at Pudgy's Bar in Racine. The defendant's in Miami, picked up at the airport by the, the head of the National Proud Boys organization. So. I submit to you, you know, the question the defense asks is, what's the proof that he's affiliated with his organization? This is the proof. He goes out for, after, after court, drives up to Racine and meets them at a bar, goes to Miami, is picked up at the airport and has lunch with the national head of that. So this is the evidence of the affiliation. What does that mean about October, uh, excuse me, August 25th of last year? And, and, the, and the jury can make a decision on that, Your Honor. I, I believe that it, it is consistent with the Proud Boys uh, mantra, their philosophy of going to these types of protests armed with the intent of causing violence. And I think we, we will be prepared to introduce testimony from someone who is affiliated with the Proud Boys and will tell the jury about their philosophy, will tell the jury. If I try to recruit him, that's all. Well, hey, now I just want to make a comment because I've heard a lot of people trashing this guy. Whenever you have good lawyering, mm -hmm. you know how you can tell is that when you hear one side, you're 100% behind that side and saying, yeah, they're right. But then when you hear the other side, you're like, wow, yeah, that's an um, interesting yeah. point. Because at first, um, what's his name? The uh, I, I can't pronounce his name. Shurafasi, Shurafasi, Shurafasi. <laughs> I'll call him by his first name. I'm sorry. Corey. Corey, I'm sorry. I, I can't. I'm butchering your name. But I thought you made a very compelling argument that the only evidence was a picture four months later, kind of a happenstance meeting at this bar after court in Racine. So, okay, it sounded to me like, hey, these Proud Boys recognized him, came over and took pictures with him. Because now Kyle Rittenhouse is a celebrity. He, he's known all over. Uh, not necessarily a good celebrity, but he's he's known everywhere. So I think someone recognized him and said, hey, let's do it. Now when I listen to Binger about his argument, he's like, this was not happenstance. Mm -hmm. These guys, eight days later, flew to Miami with the head of the Wisconsin Proud Boys and the head of the National Proud Boys for a meeting. That's not just being a fan. Right. That, to me, shows signs of affiliation. Unless they're trying to recruit him. Unless they were trying to recruit yeah. him. Yeah. 
So I'm kind of like this on that. Like, first of all, how stupid to do that. You know, number one, you're facing a trial here and you, the allegations are already out there. They're all over social media. They're all over the press that he, you know, is a white supremacist or whatever. Why would you put yourself in a position where now they're going to potentially smear you with this? So His lawyer must have been pissed about that. So, I, you know, but... So many people attack this prosecutor as being a boob. He doesn't know what he's doing. Well, I think he's a very good prosecutor. I think as far as managing this massive case, all the evidence, all the witnesses, and he's making good arguments. People don't realize what it means to be on trial. They see us from nine to five arguing in front of the jury, but they don't know when we leave the courtroom at five o'clock we're online doing research, we're calling witnesses, we're looking at documents, we're reading transcripts, preparing for the next day. But on top of that, now you've got to submit a brief to a judge and make an argument about suppression of evidence that's about to come in. It's a gruel, but I love it. It's a grueling task. And it takes a special person like this to be able to do that. So I'm partially just defending him. I know he's a prosecutor. I'm a defense attorney, but what's fair is fair. Yeah, right. Of course. Oh, like I see, it. that was a very compelling argument that he made. Now we'll have the judge's decision, which is kind of interesting. And this is why I love this judge. You, you'll hear. All right. Let's assume you're bringing in the evidence about the Proud Boys being in Kenosha on the day in question, and uh, that they're here for their purposes. Um, is there any suggestion that they were connected in any way with the accused? On the date of August 25th, I will acknowledge that I am not going to be able to prove that that was a coordinated thing between the defendant and the Proud Boys that night. However, I believe there's a strong inference based on the fact that after court in January, he goes out to Pudgies, goes down to January or Miami later that month and meets with the, not only the head of the Wisconsin Proud Boys, but the head of the national Proud Boys. I think there's an inference to be drawn from that. Now, the jury can be instructed what weight to give it, but the defendant's actions of coming into our community illegally after curfew with a gun at the time of a protest is entirely consistent with what the Proud Boys make it their job to do. And then he meets with the leaders afterwards. To me, I think there's a reasonable inference that these are consistent motives all along. Okay. And, and, um You've been here in here enough, Mr. Krause has been in here enough to know that we get these pre-sentences uh, where the defendant is accused of any number of things and there's a section in there about gang membership. And I have stated probably a hundred times, probably more than that, that I don't, um, I breeze right past that because I'm not interested in these accusations about group responsibility unless it's directly connected that the defendant is uh, is active in the criminal enterprises of the organization or you know there's kids in, in neighborhoods right here in Kenosha who join gangs because they're afraid not to. Pope Benedict was a member of the Nazi youth because he had to be. Um, this um, uh, uh, type of evidence is, is very dangerous. I, I, you make some points that might be legitimate. I, I, I certainly would keep the door open. If you can show that there's any connection between the defendant on the day in question and this organization, 
But as I said before, if them, this 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 organization embraces the defendant after the fact because he's lionized because of his behavior, uh, that is not something that the jury can make anything out of that would be lawful. So, uh, I, as I say, I'll keep the door open in a small amount if you've got some evidence to suggest that there was some uh, prior knowledge or awareness, but uh, otherwise uh, I think the evidence would be poisoned and it would not be allowed. All right, now the next one is... Okay, great. Now, listen, did you hear this judge? This is why I love him, and I want to try a case in front of a judge like this. He's very thoughtful. He'll listen to your arguments, and he's got vast experience that he applies. And he talked about when I get a pre-sentencing report, that's after someone's been convicted or pled guilty. Probation does a pre-sentencing report to give you background. And he goes, whenever I look at that gang affiliation section, I, I gloss over it. Because there are people who join a gang because they have to join a gang. They're, they're compelled to join a gang. But unless they have intricate you know, involvement in whatever the crime is, he's not considering it. So I think that was, you know, but to hear that from a judge, not just getting a ruling. He explains himself. He explains his thought process and tells you why he's leaning one way or the other. He's not coming down, no, denied, move on. He's explaining to the lawyers, I hear both of you. You're both making good arguments, and I'm leaning this way, but I will leave the door open, Mr. Crafasi. I, I will, not uh, Mr. Binger, I will leave the door open if some evidence comes to light that connects him to the Proud Boys on August 25th then I may revisit this. You can't ask for a fairer judge doing something like that. But I want to go back because I'm ignoring the chat. And Lindsay Ten, who I love, and I already told you how wonderful she is with questions, she's asking, and she's asked it a couple of times, but what evidence about the Proud Boys could be admitted to actually prove they go places for malice? Is that someone's opinion? Do they have a handbook that states that? And then she went on and made a comment about, is he getting this from CNN? Or something like that? That's crazy. Yeah, but, you know, but Antifa was there. Antifa's there. All the other Yeah, but wait, to answer Lindsay, to answer Lindsay, the prosecutor said he has someone who's affiliated with the Proud Boys. Mm -hmm. That's firsthand personal knowledge of what they do. That's not secondhand. That's someone affiliated with the Proud Boys who would come in and say this is what they do. Yeah, that, is that person, was that person arrested and has a pending case? You know, what's is, up with that? is cooperating and all that is relevant right. for credibility. Right. But to me, that's still very damaging yeah, if it, it is. is allowed in. And mm -hmm. this judge had the wherewithal and the experience mm -hmm. to say, mm, I don't think it's fair. He even mentioned Pope. Pope uh, he, he was a member of the Nazi youth group. Like, you know, he did it because he had to. So he says, look, I'm not putting a lot of weight in that. And I don't think the jury should either. And this could be very poisonous. So I love that. I'm curious. Lindsay, did I answer your question? Because that was a great question. What would be evidentiary, uh, you know, 
in an evidentiary form that the jury could hear and they could get a witness who's affiliated with the Proud Boys to educate them. So, or you could get like a, a police expert on gang activity or militia or something like that to come in and testify. But I'm glad he ruled that way because I think in a large way that takes away from the facts. Some people get so hung up on associations like that. And I'll give you a perfect example. When I was running for district attorney, I had friends of mine from high school who were like, hmm, but are you a Trump supporter? Trump has nothing to do with the Queens district attorney's office. Hmm, I would love to vote for you. You know, I love you, but if you're a Trump supporter, I can't. What is that? So, but that's my fear with a case like this. If someone said, you're associated with the Proud Boys, you're guilty in my eyes. That's the danger here. The prejudicial value of that evidence, prejudicial effect outweighs whatever probative value, whatever you're trying to prove is outweighed by the harmful effect to that jury. So I'm glad he ruled that way, but I was just curious how many people you know, thought that that was something they would have wanted to hear. I also want to ask you if you think, yes, being in the bar, taking a picture, doing your little signs, okay. But getting on a plane and going to Miami and meeting with that's, the yeah, that's kind of sketchy. That's not a fan taking a picture with you. To me, that's more of an association. Remember what his lawyer said? He either has to show proof he's a member or that he has loyalties to this organization. That's a big step towards satisfying that prong of it, you know, loyalties. So that was very scary to me. I mean, what did you think? <laughs> I'm so paralyzed by this video. Not you did you did great. Do we cover all those other things that we have in there? What were the other stuff that we, we still have? have? What we got? Oh, bam, bam. Um, Switching over, it's me. Love those YouTube spaces. They're asking about MSNBC, what MSNBC did. Yeah, MSNBC was horrible. I, I, I really am so disappointed. Why? I and mean, that's the media. I mean, that's what they do these days. Well, we as cops, I mean, we've been dealing with this forever. But Scotty Wagner, detective, you guys are doing great. Thank you. Thanks, and Mike Cologne. Mike Cologne. Hi, Mike. Mike Cologne. Mike Cologne's in the house. Factual. There's been no proof. I've seen that this group is a su supremacist group. That is just left-wing nonsense. I agree with you. I have not seen evidence of it. I think their leader is... He's Hispanic. He's, he's Hispanic, yeah. right? So the, the leader of the white that. supremacist alleged group is uh, Hispanic. So how do we... How do we <laughs> I don't get that. I think it's just opposition and the media is doing their job as the the Hi, enforcer for the uh, for the left and, and they're smearing them. So I think that's horrible. He's but he's audio. Hey, Ermi, uh, single mom of four. Yes, very terrible at Jen Lowe. Lindsay, 10. Yeah, I think he is Cuban. I, I agree. I think so. How is it that they can say this is a white supremacist group? I mean, who came up? Does anyone know what this is? Like, is it? Like like the, like the judge said, oh, oh, spaghetti. Oh, remember? <laughs> That's what he was doing. We're getting canceled. Oh, <laughs> yeah, well, oh we're going to get banned from YouTube. 
the more Miss Rivera speaks, the more I like her. Hey, easy. Listen. Take it easy there. Police off the cuff. Great show, guys. Hey, you know, I love your show. And I, I was so desperate, you know, this week. I was so busy with, with my cases. I wanted to do this all week. And I, I just couldn't. And but I'm glad you guys covered it, but I didn't want to step over you. So I'm I'm using different issues. <clears throat> Kathy Bates, yes, I think he's Cuban and Kyle is half Mexican. Yeah, isn't that something? The white supremacist is half Mexican. So people would just run down a parade at Waukesha, Wisconsin. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah, they just ran down a, a group of no Christmas parade. See, like this is what I'm, I'm very dis first of all, I wanted to just say. I am so proud of our president. He came right out after the verdict and said, this is our verdict. We have to live by it. We have to support the the, the jury made their decision. I was proud of that. What that, else is he going to say? What else is he going to well, say? Well, I'll tell you what else he could have said. Like Jerry Nadler, who I'd love to, I'd love to run against him and get rid of him finally. He's talking about with false facts that he crossed state lines with that assault rifle that the federal government should look into it for civil rights violations do that. Civil rights violations there, there is no protected class here you know at, at issue and i think it was just horrible but it's more politics the president could have jumped on that bandwagon and he didn't he you just stopped it but you know it's really funny in, in in those states like for instance he shows up with a AR-15 in front of a cop in New York City. If that happened, he would have been shot, you know, or anywhere else, you know. But in some other states, you know, you're allowed to bear arms. You know, you can carry yeah, arms. they honor the Second Amendment in a lot of other states. Of New York states. doesn't. But that's going to change because there's a case up in the Supreme Court that's going to be heard, a New York case that has <laughs> to do with the uh, right to carry. You know, Heller, which was, I think, 2010, dealt with protecting yourself on the premise. This case is a carry case. So finally, I think they're going to, you know, loosen up uh, New York's, uh, you know, strict gun control. On, um, which one? I like, you know, I, I, you know, Oregon Outback makes a point. If Kyle is a white supremacist, he's really a bad one. He shot three white guys. It's so true. I mean, it's not about race. This is not about race. The Mexican guy shoved three white guys. That's he's a racist. He's a racist. You yeah. know, but I wanted to touch on too the actual acts. You know, the first one when when Joseph Rosenbaum, which I was kind of shocked, and I think this should have been allowed in, but again, the judge was kind of weighing it. Um, he was just hospitalized, but and I think suicide. It was suicide. Yeah. Suicidal, shoot me, shoot me. It, it, you know, it could have been, yeah, it could have been suicide, like you know, by suicide by cop. It could have been the same thing. He wanted to die. That's incredible. They've but been going over, he couldn't stay at his girlfriend's, he couldn't because there was an order of protection, right? You know, they all had rap sheets, which is another but, sign of you know, but one, but one thing, Joe, that you know, it's like you know, how things escalate, you know, um. Like the second guy, what's his name again? The second one, um, the guy that got killed, um, what's his name? Oh Anthony, yeah, uh, Anthony Huber. Right, Anthony Huber. Huber. Yeah, he he, he kind of like overreacted. He he thought he was chasing after some guy who shot somebody. You know, so I think on, on his part, that was more like an, 
you know, uh, he made a mistake. He should have just minded his business, stood back, you know, um, instead of chasing somebody with a, with a, with an AR-15 and he has a skateboard. I mean, that was a big mistake. Are you going to hit the guy with a skateboard? I mean, come on. I mean, the guy has a gun. Like, I wouldn't do that. And I'm, and I'm a cop and I carry a gun. First thing I want to address, because I hear some of my friends who are even on this, this uh, chat right now were attacking Kyle for even being out there. But cleaning up the school, cleaning up graffiti. I, I think that's misguided that only the thugs own the street. And for him going out there was a bad decision. I, I look at it as him trying, I believe I could be wrong, but mm -hmm. my perception of the evidence I saw and I watched his testimony from start to finish, he went out there. I agree with, with a group of people doing graffiti cleaning graffiti there was an issue that came up one of the guys wanted to go to chicago and get body armor yeah right right just take mine right. take mine he wasn't intending on get, and where did he get body armor he was in the he was an explorer for the police department this seems like a lifeguard a living a good life trying to do the right thing now there are a couple of other issues he was driving without a license and and had been arrested and charged with that and he pled no contest um there were a couple other issues um that came up some some weird of oh, the curfew thing I, i'm not really going to fight him on that because the curfew was not being enforced and it should mm -hmm. not be enforced selectively you should either enforce it universally or don't enforce it at all and it appeared they weren't enforcing it it was a recommendation more than anything um, but the fact that he went out there, even if it was to guard this uh, establishment where one of their stores or their locations were torched, and car the car source was was torched the night before. Why is that a bad thing that he went out there to help preserve their property? Mm -hmm. I mean, I that happened in New York. Um, Jill, that happened in New York. In New York, during the, the riots, people in Washington Heights, in the Bronx, in, in Woodlawn, they all protected their communities. You know, Sex Fifth Avenue, they hired their own armed security. Yeah, but like people in neighborhoods in the bodegas, the people in the Bronx protected their own neighborhood, their own block. You know, they were out there. And I'm pretty sure they had guns also, probably not on them, not the way this kid did. But, you know, I mean, this is your community. You're going to try and protect your community. I mean, I would protect my community that I live in. It's almost like, you know, a sense of ownership. This is my community. Yeah, you're going to come in here. And, and, and the people who are here. doing this, is out I mean, most of the people who are doing this don't really even care about black lives. It's all bullshit. They, all, they, all they don't alive. care about black lives. They don't live yeah. there. They just want to cause havoc and, and cause, you know, racial divide. It's, a lot of it's BS. And I think people are beginning to open their eyes and realize this. That's yeah. why I think all the rioters, most of them are not even from Kenosha. No, they, they just, they, they hear down. problems coming and they come in and they, and they just, they have a role. They want to come in where there's problems and that's it. Like the, what happened tonight with the guy who ran these people over, um, what, what, what state is that in? I mean, who knows who's going to show up there man. tonight? Yeah, they're going to show up there tonight and, and cause havoc and make it a racial thing, you know, and it's bullshit. It's really, but you know what? It's, it's very sad. People are like, well, we are the police. You know what? At that time, there was a war on police. Yeah. The police, uh, how big is their, their their force? It's like 189 sworn officers. There's no way too. we're going to be 
um, there were hundreds, hundreds of protesters. It, I mean, protests. But, you know, I, I, I really just was surprised that our friends were, were condemning him for going out there. I thought it was honorable that he was willing to go out there and stand and put himself in harm's way to help this, you know, establishment. And we got to meet them at the trial. They seemed like good people, hard people that had a nice business and they didn't want to lose it to rioters. Mm -hmm. And look, if they weren't there, they were already torching the dumpster. They were getting ready to do this one. They were probably the same people that were at the other location of the car source the night before. But now they were met with citizens who were fighting back. I think that was an honorable thing to do. And I would have done it in my community if I felt, you know, that it was getting bad, you know, around here. But uh, yeah. that's an ownership issue. This is my town. This is my, you're not coming in here to destroy my town, you know? What do you think? What do you think? You want the last video? Oh, I wanted to touch on. Okay, so the shootings themselves. Now that we got rid of the Proud the Boys and all this other stuff they wanted to introduce. You know, there was another thing they tried to introduce. I'll just touch on it real quick. He had a fight. His sister and another young lady got into a fight one-on-one -on -one together. And it was kind of a mutual combatant thing. Or at least that's what Binger was, was explaining it. A mutual combatant thing where Kyle stepped in and then started assaulting the woman, the, uh, the, the young lady. And they were trying to say, we want to introduce that prior bad act and, and let the jury know about it to show his mental state about to dispute the fact of self-defense. Because it's clearly not self-defense when you go in there two against one to you know hurt this other woman. So, and, you know, the, the prosecutor, I mean, the uh, defense attorney and the judge both said, maybe if it was a similar circumstance, but you can't possibly equate him stepping into a fight with his sister as someone, you know, disregarding the, the, the elements of self-defense, you know, that it should negate his claim of self-defense because this is what he does. It's purely what the, the law calls propensity evidence. They're trying to show he has a propensity for violence, and this is what he does. So I'm glad that got thrown out. That wasn't allowed in. But if you look at each of these shootings and how it played out, I think it's pretty clear that it was self-defense. I mean, with Joseph uh, uh, Rosenbaum. Rosenbaum, the guy was suicidal, and even in the way he approached him, was running at him and he's got this rifle yelling at the crowd to shoot him yeah yeah i mean it was really it was shocking to watch it was traumatic just to watch it could you imagine this 17 year old kid so he, he shoots him. Shot him if he took his gun away from him he would have shot him with his own gun. dead, dead gone him yeah. and others yeah. there would have been others too well you see nobody can measure your fear except for yourself you know, when you're in that situation, people can say anything they want, but when you're in that situation, you're in fear for your life. No one knows what it feels like to be in fear, yeah. you know? You know, as cops, you know, we've had that situation when you've been in fear of your life, you know? I want to touch on, because we had this conversation about uh, the second shooting, 
um, where he ended up not the second shooting because he oh missed God. Anthony Huber. No, he Anthony shot, Huber. He, he, he shot. shot at the jump kick. Man. Yeah, he shot at the jump kick guy and missed and missed. And then Anthony Huber grabs the gun and Angela came up with, which is brilliant. She does this all the time. Prior to allegedly guilty, I would have then made this comment on police off the cuff <laughs> as if it were my own. But Angela came up with this. She says, look, he gets crawling. He gets crawling. He's holding his rifle, and this guy grabs his rifle. Oh, yeah. Look at that. He's got his finger on the trigger. Where's the barrel? The barrel is right here. And this guy pulls the rifle. So what does he, in effect, do? The he skateboard pulls the trigger. Yeah. He's, shot, he's shooting himself because he's pulling the gun away from him. He's got his finger on the trigger, so that natural jerk of the gun is going to cause him to pull the trigger right i thought that was brilliant that it's only like five and a half pounds five nine, and a half pounds. nine and a half pounds and that's a huge skateboard yeah yeah, yeah that must have hurt that hurt yeah but so i mean the, these are people i was actually shocked watching this video because when i first heard the story without seeing the video i was like yeah we got a problem here I mean, I don't know too many people who are unarmed, who are running after and attacking an armed man. I actually have a case in Staten Island where I was criticizing the cops because on video, they, ha they have this unarmed so-called victim, the complaining witness, running after <laughs> the, the would-be perps. And he's alleging, <laughs> he's alleging that they just put a gun to his head and robbed him. And I'm like... Have you ever in your career saw a victim who was robbed at gunpoint, who's unarmed, chase down the guy with the gun? I've never heard, I've never heard of that. But here we have it. We have it at that this uh you know, this riot that took right. place on the 25th. They're running after a guy with a gun who's already shot the gun. He's already shot one person. And they're well, running he, after, after him. After he shot Joe Rosenbaum, he wasn't trying to escape he was trying to turn himself in yeah instead of letting like the mob get to him that would have been worse i i think it's important after he shot joe uh rosenbaum that he didn't just flee the scene he had concern he went back over to him you know he he was concerned that showed and he, cops. and he went to the cop but there was a mob of people so mm -hmm. he had to get out of there but the thing that shocked me is these people saw he shot someone and they're running him down. Chasing after him. You know he's going to use that gun if he needs to. And, you know, Huber attacks him. Were there any calls to 911? Really? It, it was just shocking. And then, you know, one after the other. Now, our, our last gentleman, Gaethy uh, uh, Grosskurtz. Grosskurtz. <laughs> That shocked me more than anything. Watching his testimony. Yeah, right. <laughs> where they walked him through it. And I'm like, whoa, after the Hello, shot was fired. show you what has been marked as Exhibit 67. Uh, that's a photo of you, yes? Yes. Okay. Um, that's Mr. Gun. You see the circle? Okay. That's that's now, his gun pointing at Kyle. That's his arm exploding. At Mr. Rittenhouse. Oh, shit, yeah, look at that. Yes. Okay. And once your firearm is pointed at that's when he fires his gun. Right. Yes? No.
Sir, look, I don't want to... Does this look like right now your arm is being shot? That looks like my bicep being vaporized, yes. Okay. And it's being vaporized as you're pointing your gun directly at him. Yes? Yes. Okay, so... When you were standing three to five feet from him with your arms up in the air, he never fired, right? Correct. It wasn't until you pointed your gun at him, advanced on him, with your gun, now your hands down, pointed at him, that he fired, right? Correct. That's it, lost right there. Case is over, right there. Right, that's it. He knew it too. He knew it. Thank God they had those videos and those pictures. You know, what, what was really shocking is because they kind of took it frame by frame. He was running. He was about, he estimated that he wasn't even the picture when they were first showing him running after him. He mm -hmm. said, that guy is 30 feet away from me and Rittenhouse is beyond him. Right. So he's 30 feet behind him. So he, he, he kept denying that he was running after him, but somehow he made up this ground, you know, mm -hmm. and now he's right on top of him. Right. When, when Rittenhouse fires the shot at, was it Huber or was it the jump kick guy? He fired two shots at the jump kick man, but missed. You it's see this guy, um, Gross Krauts, what's his name? He then stops in his tracks and he puts his hands up and he's got the gun in his hand. And his lawyer did this so perfectly. He says he put his hands up. Did he fire at you? No, he didn't. And then he says you lowered your hand and then took a step towards him how much closer away well i was five feet now i'm three feet away you're still advancing on him right, right. and you're pointing a gun at him but he said in the courtroom that he bladed his body he took a step back now anyone associated with guns ever fired a gun ever watched somebody fire a gun that's a shooting stance that's a shooting that's right. equivalent to that's a modified weaver that's equivalent to <laughs> up to a fight i mean if you're on a street fight and somebody takes that step back it's, time it's, to go. it's on. It's on. But I just thought it was so compelling watching that video. He stops in his tracks. He sees the shot fired. He puts his hands up and then decides to move forward and, and then lower his firearm to point it at him. How anyone can interpret that any other way. And then he admits to it on the stand saying, yeah, I did. You know, and then he shot me at that point when I advanced on him with my gun pointed at him. Hello, what am I well, missing? They, what they were trying to say was that when he shot him, his arm fell down from getting hit, and that's why he was pointing at him afterwards. Which was no, nope. you could see in that shot right. that's the point of impact. That wasn't after being shot in the arm. That was the point of impact. So right. that's where his arm was yeah, at that time it impacted. So I, I mean. So this gets me to my original point, and I wanted to see if other people had any opinions on this. Looking at these three individual shootings that happened here, does anyone have any doubt that this was not self-defense? I mean, I, I, I don't see it. I don't see how anyone can say this man is being run down, hunted down, hit in the back of the head, slammed with a skateboard, knocked to the ground. Did he have any other choice at that point? He's no. on the ground with his firearm. 
anybody would have done the same thing. So that gets me to my point of the whole title of this thing, prosecution or persecution. Why was this case even brought? If they had this evidence and it was right there all on video, this was not testimonial. This case is a video case. It's all on video. Every single shot he fired is on video. You can't challenge that. I mean, it's there. But they tried with all their little stuff that they did. I don't think this was an appropriate. This was really fitting for a grand jury. And the fact that they didn't have a seated grand jury because of COVID, I give them a pass on that. But the prosecutor's office should have presented this to a grand jury and let a grand jury look at this evidence. And then the defense, I believe, would have presented him in that grand jury. And it would have been over like that. It would have yep. been done. Definitely. Not have to go through this circus of, of what took place. And that's my opinion. I know I've been ignoring the chat. Mm -hmm. Lindsay 10, what's going on there? Personal political agendas, Binger's ego. Yeah, well. You know, it's so true. If it hadn't been caught on video, like um, old lady Rose says, it, it would have been completely different. No, I've never heard of a Zoom grand jury. Kathy Bates indicates, well, couldn't they do a Zoom grand jury? I've never heard of a no. Zoom grand jury because you're still, I mean, you'd have to have 16 to 23 people. And the grand jury is a secret proceeding. How do you enforce that? You know, and and you're you're you you see on the screen somebody walk behind one of the witnesses. Like, how, how do you maintain that <laughs> that confidentiality of a grand jury? You know, so no, I'm sorry that couldn't happen. Scott Wagner, I agree a hundred percent. Yes, Joe Smith, the mayor and DA are related. No kidding, mm. the mayor and the DA are related. Wow. You mean Binger is related or the actual district attorney, the elected official? Which one is uh, related? That's interesting. Jen Lowe, I literally changed my mind halfway through the trial. You know, again, Jen Lowe, that to me is, is, is part of the lawyering, the good lawyering. When you watch a direct examination, and you're like, wow, they brought out some good facts. And then a cross-examination comes. And you're like, wow, now I, you know, I'm changing my opinion because of the evidence that that's good lawyering. And you know you have a good lawyer doing questioning. We call it the tennis match because the witness is on the stand, usually in front of the lawyer, and the jury box is to the side. So the jury is looking to the right at the witness then looking back at the lawyer when the lawyer asks a question and then looks back at the witness and back at the, it's like the tennis match, you know, like, yeah, yeah. so, you know, you have a jury and I look for that, you know, you know, you have a jury when they're like, okay, you know, what's, what's happening when you see this, you know, you know, you're in trouble, you know, it's just, you better cut that short. So, uh, but I think that's what we weren't able to see the jury, but I think that, is what was going on here because I felt both sides were putting forth great arguments and they were doing a good job with the questioning. How about Binger when he was questioning Rittenhouse? And he was like, You were using deadly force. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and he just kept saying, To kill him. 
to kill no, them. No, I was trying to and I was trying to eliminate the threat by killing them. By you know, like, them. that was powerful. Mm -hmm. And you know, and I give kudos to Rittenhouse for maintaining his composure and and maintaining his, you know, the, his answer, like not succumbing to that. Would you keep getting that to kill them? No, you were trying to kill them. Yes, you you know. So, I thought there was good lawyering on both sides. I know there was some ethical stuff that, you know, sometimes these lawyers get get dug in and egos do become a part of it, and they want to win so bad. Uh, or maybe it was just such a massive case, you know. Even that that Fifth Amendment issue when he was talking about you know, Rittenhouse making statements and he didn't make any statements up to that point. You know, he brought out on his argument that Rittenhouse did do interviews. He was out there doing interviews. And to me, that kind of opens the door a little bit. If you are selectively doing interviews, then I, that's fair game. So uh, I don't know. I really wanted to come on to show that, like, <laughs> These guys are getting beat up. That It's so difficult to put a case like that together with so many witnesses, so much evidence, and it's all in your head. And, you know, I referenced this before, like Mike Tyson's, you know, theory. Everyone has a plan until they get punched mm -hmm. in the face. Well, when you, you ask a question that blows up on you, how you react or don't react, how you pivot and you change your line of questioning and you go in a different direction – it, it's so important and it's so much like boxing. I always found that too, like <laughs> being, an, being an attorney on trial, like I would look at each witness as another round, you know, like, all right, getting back in my corner, waiting for the next witness to be called or whatever. And then the witness gets up there. And then when you're done and the jury comes out and you're waiting to hear the verdict, it's like you're standing in the ring. You and the prosecutor shake hands. You're like, all right, you know, and then, the defendant not guilty, you know, like it's great. It's a great, you know, euphoric. Uh, Someone mentioned Kyle is on Tucker tomorrow. He'll be on Fox. Yeah, I heard he's going to be on Fox. That's going to be interesting. What did you think of him as a 17? Well, he's 18 now. What did you think of him as a 17-year-old going through this disaster, you know, and then having that composure and, and being able to articulate and yeah, but he broke down. I mean, at one point and you know, that yeah. was really sad watching that. I mean, just thinking of going to jail, like being so young and knowing that you're innocent, you know, you life. Defense. yeah, that's a, that's a big thing. I'm telling you, I know yeah. I don't, I don't want to go to jail for life. That's for sure. I got to tell you, you know, thinking back, I mean, I became a cop at 20, but uh, at 20 years old. Right. At 17 and now 18, testifying a trial like that, I, I thought he did yeah, well. I think he did a pretty good job. Yeah. You know I why? He did a good job because he was being honest. He was being yeah. truthful. He wasn't, when, if, when you testify, in, even as a cop, when you testify, you know, people always go testify, which is, you know, but when yeah. you testify and you know the facts 100%, you can stand on that, you can stand on that jury box and on that, on that witness box and tell the truth. And once you tell the truth, it's easy. If you lie, then it becomes very difficult. Yeah, you know, Darlene Dunlop makes a great point here. She says, even though Kyle was acquitted, there really, well, she says care, but are no winners here. That's so true, Darlene. There yeah. are no winners yeah. here. Yeah. This guy is scarred for life. You know, I forget who it was I was talking about. I think it was his own lawyer who, during an interview, he said, 
make no mistake about it, he's going to have PTSD from this for the rest of his life. Or somebody was saying that. I, I, yeah, sure. Such a true statement, you know. Sure. Lindsay 10, it's pretty telling that Kyle didn't spray bullets around in a terrified moment. You know, Lindsay, 17 years old, again, not the composure he had. He fired every one of those shots, I think, appropriately. You know, yeah, but, he was, Joel, he, but he worked with law enforcement. He was a, a, a explorer. Explorer, you know. So, was. you know, and he was a lifeguard. You know, I mean, he, he, I think he had a, you know, he, like, he was out to help people. He really was. Yeah. Oregon Outback. I'm surprised the Marines haven't tried to recruit Carl. Yeah. Uh, um, Joe, Joe, there's one question in here on this. Yeah. Asking about the length of the gun when they measured it. Yes. In the beginning, I went through that. That was a whole statute I went through 16 inches for the barrel. I found that a little shocking that we didn't resolve that. As a prosecutor preparing my case, you want to make sure you can articulate the elements of each crime charged and normally you would have that laid out okay i'm going to use this to prove this element this to prove that element and very simply he should have had that detective measure out the barrel and measure out the overall length to see whether it fits as a short bow rifle either by overall length or, or the barrel it wasn't done it wasn't done so that was i was very disappointed in that but that was the importance of it so okay, a couple more. Andy, the Andy, come on, you're still here. I mean, go to sleep, <laughs> poor guy. <laughs> Andy, the Gabby Cavi, he thought his life <laughs> was in danger and acted accordingly. You're absolutely right, Andy. This guy did it textbook. I thought mm -hmm. it, you know, all of his shots were appropriate when he fired. When he, you know, how many times he fired. I, I just thought it was it was done. Maybe that is the result of these video games, you know, that you call a duty and stuff. These kids are on these games so young and they're they're in combat, really, with you know, and their reflexes, you know, perhaps. Lindsay 10, allegedly guilty. What do you think about the prosecution's decision not to swap DNA? Swab well. They you did do that. Didn't they swab it? From the muzzle of the rifle. Didn't they do that? Well, they did. I don't know. I don't remember. I think, I think they did. I think they did. I remember that was part of it. Uh, it was the the muzzle burn or the residue that they measured on his hand. It was something about that. I don't know if it was the DNA, but it was. I think it was like the uh, powder burn or the or the or the discharge that. No, I think on, on Hoover, Hoover. I think on Hoover. I think they they tried to see if there was any of his DNA on the muzzle of the gun, but there wasn't. Yeah. So, all right, factual breakdown. Andy is allegedly guilty number one supporter in UK. Andy, we love you. We love you. I don't know what our numbers are now. We were 35 subscribers away from our first thousand in a week's time. I can't believe it. It's amazing. I absolutely, Angela did this for me for my oh, birthday. Boy. She did it for my birthday. <laughs> You know, I feel like Sam Rothstein in Casino. Now I have a show. I have a voice. I could fight back. I'm doing more work now. <laughs> you know, so, I need to say, Joe, one thing. I think this the name of your show is so perfect for this case. 
Isn't it allegedly guilty? Hold on. He's not guilty. He's allegedly guilty. So I love it. So listen, Irma, I love having you. I love having you working with us and I, and now on on the show that we have. Do you have any last parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you want to share with everyone, either about this case or anything? First, I want to say um, Pat Caserta from the Homicide Squad. She was our PAA. She died on Saturday. So condolences to her whole family. You know, Scott Dillon. We, had a, we lost a lot of people recently. Sandy Vasquez. You know, so just my condolences to all these people who've passed away in the last two months, you know. Um, yeah. and besides that, everybody stay safe, have nice holidays, and, uh, you know, just pray for the people in this other state. What Where was this? In Wisconsin that got ran over by... Uh, yeah, Wisconsin. I mean, I see like there's like 12 kids killed. I mean, I haven't really read this, heard the story yet, but I'm watching the feed here. So um, that's another thing we'll be looking at for, we'll be looking at tomorrow. Yeah, I, uh, Ansh, do you have any parting words that you want to um, share with us? Our... Let me just show you something real quick. Oh. Hi, Mama Mia. <laughs> Look, apparently we, we didn't learn anything from the. I know he has a finger on the trigger. Oh my God. Yeah, he was, I heard he was talking about prosecuting Alec Baldwin, but changed his mind. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's terrible. You know, that's oh one God. thing. Let me have to say, Kyle, if you notice all the videos of him, he never had his finger on the trigger. He held the gun the right way, off the trigger the way we're taught. You know, we're all taught to do that. And he did. And I saw that in every video. He never had his finger on the trigger. Yeah. Yeah, but that's powerful, using the actual gun in, uh, in front of the jury. You know, I did that once for purposes of, you know, the evidence collection person that had the case mm -hmm. uh, never dusted and glued the gun. And I was challenging them. I said, open that gun. I want you to feel if your hands are sticky or have powder on them. I guarantee you that thing was not even done because <laughs> I worked in the anyway. And just giving me the, the <laughs> and just giving me the, the hook. So I just want to say to everyone in the chat, sorry for ignoring you. We're going to get better at this. We had some technical difficulties. We're trying to work this thing out. I think this Kyle Rittenhouse case, we could talk for days about this. I mean, there's so much here. But I wanted to just hopefully give people a different perspective, you know, on some of the lawyers. I, I hate to see the attacks on these lawyers. They handled this case I thought was a massive case. And they did a good job. There was good lawyering. We had a great judge. It was a perfect, and, and the jury, not really knowing them, but seeing how they deliberated over this, they actually went through this evidence. They went through charge by charge, obviously took their time. I think this was perfect in the way that it went, you know, it went about. Uh, so thank you all for supporting us and staying here. I see that we're- Let me just say one last thing. Please, <laughs> Joe Murray has a brother, Malachi. He's uh, he's been a tour guy for over twenty years, and I met him. And uh, he has his own channel. He's a great storyteller, and he's well versed in everything New York. He's funny as hell. His shows oh are entertaining God. and educational. So just stop by New York Talk, um, subscribe, uh, ring the bell, and give the videos a like and. Maybe leave a comment. Tell them we sent you. Yeah, I meant to tell you that. My, my brother Malachi, Police Wolf the Cuff, had 
like a get together of everyone together at Bardo on 46th Street, with retired so Captain Joe Lisi. And my brother came down because he lives in Manhattan. He lives uh, 49th. So he came down. I, I got to tell you, my brother is, and not just because he's my brother, I think he's the smartest guy in the world. He reads every book. You go into his apartment, he's got nothing but books, books, books. And he knows everything about New York. He actually wrote his own book called Unique New York. It's kind of a tongue twister. You, I had to say it. It's so funny. New York about all, all these things. And he has so many funny stories. I wish I could tell a couple. Can I tell any? Uh, <laughs> Why don't you let him tell oh my the God. stories? But anyway, we'll check him out. We'll, we'll have him on. I mean, he's just so funny and such a great guy. You know, I got to support my brother. I almost didn't. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> and you're a good person, Angie. You're the oh, best. <laughs> And by the way, Andrew, the introduction to the show, you did a great job with that. <laughs> I'm so <laughs> nervous. All right, everybody. All right, everybody. Good Bye. night. God bless. Let's pray and, uh, give the video some, the likes. Yeah, give us a couple likes, you know, or dislikes. One thing I just want to say before everybody goes, comments, comments, comments. I love the comments. I'm a trial lawyer. So we talk about real cases. I want to see what you found compelling and what you thought was very persuasive because it may not be what I thought was persuasive. And shame on me. You guys are like prospective jurors. So I want to see what's important to you guys. So please drop us a comment. Tell us what you thought. Give us some uh, feedback. And till next time, stay safe. Stay safe. Stay safe, everybody. Good night, Good night everybody. everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy, Happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving.